Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to invite you to join us at our next workshop coming up June 8th through the 10th in Texas in the peaceful Rolling Hill Country. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. Welcome to Pure Sex Radio with your hosts, Jonathan and Stephen. This dynamic program is designed to educate, encourage, and equip listeners with the tools necessary for living a life of sexual purity. Visit us online at puresexradio.com. And now, please welcome Jonathan and Stephen on Pure Sex Radio. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and I've got Stephen sitting here. So how are you, Stephen? I'm well, thank you. I'm going to sit up straight and get ready for the talk today. That's right, yeah. So listeners, before we uh, dive in, I want to let you know about our Gateway to Freedom workshop you know, we've been doing this uh, this workshop since 2008. Um, I've actually been doing workshops since 2005. So we've been doing this for a long time. And we've had uh, hundreds and hundreds of men come through this workshop. This is our three-day intensive workshop for men who are wanting to overcome any kind of sexual struggle or stronghold. Uh, this is for single, married, divorced men. It's even helpful for pastors or men who are in ministry vocationally. Uh, we do them in Texas, Pennsylvania, and Florida, and so we always have one coming up, usually within the next month or six weeks. And so if you are a man or you know a man who is uh, wanting to overcome some kind of sexual struggle or stronghold but feels stuck or just needs a catalyst for being able to move forward, um, please go to gatewaymen.com. And you can find out all about the workshop, and then you can also find out about when the next workshops are coming up on the calendar. So, Stephen, why don't you tell us what we're going to be diving into this episode, because I'm kind of excited about it. Good. So, this is another gift from one gateway brother to to the rest of you guys. Uh, as men, we share stories and we nurture and build each other up through telling stories and sharing part of our journey. And so we're going to hear part of an individual story, and then it's going to play into a marriage story. And this is a gentleman who's been working for a couple of years on his relationship. So I'm going to share a few thoughts from what he said. This may sound unusual, but I'm really getting better at being alone. I'm finding more rest in my soul. It's not always been this way. In the past, alone was very difficult for me. There was pressure to do something in that alone place. 
My head was noisy and troubling, and, and these thoughts drove me when I was alone. In the alone place in the past, porn and fantasy and escaping was a constant pull. But now it's two years later. There's less noise and only an occasional troubling thought. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. I love how he describes that as less noise. Because if yeah. you think about it, um, I think what what recovery will do, if I can put it this way, is it it sort of it slows everything down. And I mean that in a positive way. Mm. It, it, it creates a sense of focus. It sets up healthy boundaries that you say, no, I'm not going to let that into this space. It, it helps you know how to create kind of margin in your mm. life and your surroundings to where there, there can be a, I mean, the, the, the first thought that pops into my head when he says there's less noise in my life, is I say, it's the difference between um, building your house metaphorically on the interstate and building your house <laughs> out next to a clear running stream yeah. in, the, in the countryside where the, there, it's not saying there's no noise, but the kind of noise that maybe I'm letting into my head might be a bird chirping in the trees rather than a semi that's flying by me on the highway, mm. you know? Sure, there's still temptation, but the temptation I now experience is just what presents itself each day. Isn't that mm-hmm, great? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have less pull in my head. So responding well to temptation is much easier now. The old instant magnetic pull after two years has passed. Mm. Isn't that great? That's awesome, yeah. Here is what I now think about old controlling sexual thoughts. Everyone knows health and fitness occurs after regular and disciplined workouts. You want to be mm-hmm. fit? Work out. Likewise, spiritual maturity occurs after disciplined prayer and meditation and Bible reading. You grow. So sexual, inter- sexual integrity is no different. It's a daily practice of discipline combined with emotional and spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. So it's a disciplined life that you practice every day, integrity, including emotional, spiritual, setting up boundaries, being accountable, growing healthy relationships. Mm. You know, and here's what I would say about that. I think we, we, we still live in a culture here in America that is so much about getting things as fast as possible. Mm. Like, I mean, even to the point now where, you know, most of us are addicted to Amazon Prime, <laughs> and not only just Amazon Prime, which used to be just, hey, two days free shipping, right? Now it's Amazon Prime. Now you can get your stuff in two hours. Whoa. So it's like now, now, now. And so sometimes this message is not necessarily embraced. This message of two years and there's discipline and there's almost a slowing of the pace. This is not necessarily a message that is fully embraced by our culture because we're like, no, no. I want the fast track to sexual integrity. I want the fast track to spiritual maturity. And so I think there's one thing that I really want to point out on this, especially because we live in in America, at least in this culture of fast, 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 Mm -hmm. is I want you to hear throughout everything that this guy has said to this point of the joy, the peace, Mm. the clarity that is going on in his life and realize there is, if I can put it in these terms, there is a prize for the discipline and, oh, the, and the work that's going to be involved, and the time. Yeah. So for those of you who may be kind of on, the, on maybe the front end 
of your journey towards greater integrity, it might feel like, listen, I'm, I'm still dealing with all of the old loud noise, and now I'm trying to learn these new disciplines and sort of quote-unquote work out, you know, towards this different lifestyle. And I get it. It can be very difficult at first, but I want you to hear in this man's story, there's a prize awaiting. There's a prize of joy and peace awaiting. that's good. It's because he says, today I live in the fruit of two years of practice Mm -hmm. sexual discipline. And what was involved in that two-year period? A lot of confession, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of grace. And he said a lot of relationship turmoil. Mm-hmm. which now the story takes a turn to the relationship, the marriage issues here. Because he says, as I look back, the best metaphor for those moments of relationship turmoil with my wife is this. It's like going to a funeral. Oh, boy, where is this going? <laughs> Funerals in- involve death, mm. and there are tears and grief and sorrow But then after a time, everyone gets tired of grieving. Then life breaks through and you return to taking small steps Hmm. forward. So every time I have an encounter with my wife, he says, I have to get my head straight. Because what do you think his wife is saying? If this guy has been, you know, done sexually stupid things and, and has a history... She feels neglected and unworthy and unappreciated, and she feels like a fool because she's been so good and disciplined, right? Mm -hmm. And so now when he engages his wife and does his healing relationship work, he says, okay, it's like a funeral. There's death. There's loss. There's grief, right? Isn't that what a wife sounds like? Mm -hmm. How could you do this to me? The old is gone, uh, you know, I feel terrible. This is sad. What I thought was right is dead. And, and I think if you think about it from the funeral metaphor, and especially what that entails regarding grief, that is actually a good thing, right? If you if you do not grieve mm. death and losses, then what does that do to your emotional health? I mean, it, it's, no, it's not good, right? To be able, that's right, absolutely. So even though the funeral metaphor at first can seem like, oh, that seems kind of dark, we're going to a dark place here. I think it's a good metaphor because it's realizing there there is a grieving that has to happen. And I think on both sides. I think of not only the wife, that's but true. the husband as well, because you know um, he's having to grieve the pain that he's inflicted upon her. He's having to grieve the ways in which he's neglected. He's having to grieve the ways in which he has not fulfilled his duties. And so so all I'm saying that is because I don't think you can get to the the healing part or what he calls in terms of taking the small steps forward without actually having some grief. And what I like about this brother is he's passing a model back for every other brother to use. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, And it's going to become more clear as we talk about it. He said, my history of choices and bad behaviors hurt me uh, and deeply wounded my wife. And her healing was different than my healing. And her journey was her own journey. As we went forward, something would happen and my wife would get triggered. Then we go back to the funeral. Hmm. Lots of sadness, tears, and remorse outbursts of anger. I don't want this. 
hurt and lashing out, you, how could you do that to me? How could you do it to us? How could you do it to our God? Mm -hmm. That's the funeral, he says. Then life slowly breaks through the pain and we start to take a few steps forward again. Life has a way of moving you forward. And he said, thank you, God. Mm -hmm. We don't stay at the funeral. We don't live at the funeral. Funeral is not life. Well, you know what? As as I hear you say that and look at this, I think um, God has sort of built that even into creation, hasn't he? When you think about time, Time doesn't stop, right? No, that's right. So yeah. every there's a there's there's a cycle of days. So in many ways, your life is moving forward, even if you're kind of staying stuck. Like if you're not doing the things that you need to be doing to yeah, sort life of is still going. engage yeah. life, it's move it's still moving forward. Yeah. So it's almost like God has put all these gentle nudges in place that's saying, yes. "Listen, days are going to come and go, and days are going to come and go, and days are going to come and go, as a reminder that life moves forward, things keep moving forward. And then it's almost like the invitation is put out to us, do you want to move forward with life? Mm. Or do you want to kind of stay stuck and just... Well, and I like the the funeral metaphor because, I mean, people do pass. They're part of our life, and then we go to a funeral, and we grieve, and we let them go, and then we pick up the pieces that are left, and we go forward. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, it's almost like a healing moment, and so I, mean, I think that's what this brother's passing back is that he found a, f- a way in his mind to not get caught or lost or surprised, but say, "Okay, I get it. It's like going to a funeral, so I have to sit with my wife." So he says, "There's one important lesson I've learned: when she's in pain, I must join her. Mm. Sometimes the pain is the excruciating." cut you to the core kind of pain. It is the I feel so worthless and devalued kind of pain. In the past, I argued, stop it, don't go there. The past is the past, leave in the past. Why are you doing this to me? Mm-hmm. But I've gotten smarter now. I just sit with her. I just sit quietly and I pray. No more self-defense. Mm. No more me defending me. And slowly, I'm allowed to offer her some comfort. Yeah, so those two categories there, you know, when he says in the past, you know, I just say, stop it. Don't go there. The past the past. I put out next to that. That's me thinking, right? Mm. That's still me responding to her pain through my grid, making it still about me, right? Yes. I don't and, want to stop it, stop it. That's where a lot of times men will get defensive. We start proving our worth. We start saying, look at what I'm doing in recovery. Look at how yeah. I'm not. And we start being defensive because we're still, it's still all about me. And that me thinking never lets us see her pain. No, that's right. Yeah. And so that's what right. I like is he says, I've gotten smarter. Now he realizes, what did we talk about in a previous broadcast about what do you do to bring comfort? You got to be there. You got to bring comfort and you got to do what you can to help. And he's saying, I just sit there. I would pray and no more defensiveness. No more me defending me. Now it's that I call that her thinking. Like now I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about, and and that's really a, a major shift there. So he says, at the end of that, slowly I'm allowed to offer some comfort by just being there, Mm -hmm. by weathering the funeral story. She gets tired of being in the funeral herself, and she starts moving forward, and I'm there. 
and I can offer comfort, right? That's the whole point, is to get through this funeral-like experience. Because he says the funeral ends with forgiveness and grace, and we go back to growing together, side by side. Mm. But I have to go to that funeral with her and not make her stop so we can get to the place of growth. At first, it was a lot about my failings. All the funeral talks were about my failing. And later, it became her value and her worth and her safety. So as she got better, it was to stop attacking me and start saying what she needed. I need value. I need comfort. I need safety. I need worth from you. Can you give that to me? And as the time passed, it became more about us thinking and oneness thinking. And I thank God daily for these gifts of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Mm. And there are good days, and then there are okay days, and then there are bad days. But hope always returns. Still, she gets triggered, and back to the funeral we go. Mm -hmm. We cry. We sit. We hug. Back into her pain I go. All the while, a change is growing in me. I found release from my old past urgent drive to escape and to pornify and to fantasize. The old entrenched thoughts and feelings have been leaving me. Man, there's a lot of good stuff here. So I love the way that he has developed the habit or the discipline of of daily thanking God. Mm. You know, we talk about this in the workshop, about one of the key barometers to see if a person's heart is changing mm -hmm. is gratefulness. Yes. Is there an attitude of thanksgiving that is yes. developing in your life? Because we know it, Stephen. If we're if we're remaining in a self centered, self focused mindset, mm -hmm. we can't actually be thankful because thankfulness has to go outside of ourselves. So mm. what he, what I'm seeing here is a man who is recognizing that there are there are kind of layers to growth. And as he goes, I like the fact that he keeps kind of going back to the funeral metaphor. It's like, okay, we go back to the funeral. She gets triggered. And then there's a new, back, there's yeah. like, there's a new layer of grief, grief, but there's also a new layer of, of, um, awakening or understanding that he's having that he's realizing, Hey, there are certain things that I need to recognize intentionally that, that God is bringing into my life as far as grace and mercy and mm. forgiveness. And I think as he's developing that, that attitude of thank, thankfulness, it's having a profound impact on what it's like to go to the funeral. Yeah, Because his attitude there is changing over time. Even though, guess what? You got to go to the funeral. There's things to grieve. You still got to work through pain and all of that. Mm. With, every, with every time, so to speak, that they're going to the funeral, they're both different. In terms of how they're, uh, they're going changing. there, That's they're right. changing. The first funeral service is, is very really dark and very the twelfth, the twelfth month because this is a two-year journey, mm -hmm. right? And the funeral is different at the fifteenth month or the twenty-fourth month. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The noisy, inside-driven part of me is losing its power. The journey has not been easy. This two-year journey, and as I worked on changing, I realized the body does not like change. Just try losing a few pounds. The body resists change. <laughs> Amen. Still, I fight for the change. I've had to fight against old beliefs and old patterns and even my biology. 
My body remembers. But in the end, I learned the Holy Spirit is inside of me and has power. And praying and practicing integrity daily pays off. Along this journey, one must ask some questions. Do I really want to live clean? Do I want emotional and spiritual growth? Do I want rest and peace? Okay, can we unpack some of that? Cause, yes. Because, I mean, I look at this and, and you know, he keeps talking about change, change, change. Yep. And I want to talk about that on two levels. One is, I think the obvious is this is this is a guy's story talking about his marriage, but it's really, you know, personal change, right? Yes. I mean, he's talking about the change in his own uh, disciplines and his integrity and all that. But I think it's important to realize that there is a... Um, this is about a marriage relationship, right? Yeah, he's changing in the context of so, his marriage. So, that's yeah, right. And so it's not just about his change. It's about the change that's happening in the relationship, too. There's changes going on in his wife. Yes. And if you think about it, the changes going on in him and the changes going on in his wife are because they are married and going through a difficult season, mm-hmm. right? Because they're not going to those those metaphorical funerals by themselves. They're going there together, oh, right? Yes, like yes. when he's talking about yes. going to the funeral, guess what? They're going there together. And so I think it's important to remember that because, again, in our, in our Western American society, we so um, highlight and promote the individual that we forget that a biblical marriage is the two becoming one. Mm. There's not this sense of, of you know, you in your corner and you in your corner. and No, no, no. Everything that happens to either one of us in marriage is affecting the other. And that, that includes change. And so whichever direction we're going, are we changing for the good or are we changing for the bad? Right. We see that when he was pursuing things like sexual sin, that was causing change in his marriage, wasn't it? Deteriorating, right? Yes. Eating holes, yeah. Now, when there is change that's occurring where he is pursuing righteousness and pursuing integrity, mm-hmm. well, guess what? There's still grieving to go on there. There's there's change occurring in the relationship. So I just want to connect the reality that that there is personal change, but when you're married, that change is not happening in a vacuum. Right. And, you know, what's interesting is you have to work on yourself, Right. And you have to work on the marriage. Yes, yeah. Because if you just work on yourself and you detached, I mean, that's not what we're designed for. We're right. designed for oneness and relationship. So so that whole idea of I'm going to work on me. And then I like the other the illustration of like exercising. Mm-hmm. It's like, go ahead. Why don't you eat a lot of junky food for a week and see if you don't put on some weight? You know? Yeah. And he says, hey, you got to take care of this body. You gotta practice discipline and health and make wise choices, then your body serves you well. And I wanna and I wanna point that out because then he asks some practical questions that relate to I think that quote unquote exercise is when he says you gotta ask questions like, Do I really wanna live clean? Yeah. But let's think about that on the personal mm-hmm. as well as the marriage level. So it's not just saying right. Do I really wanna live clean? Okay, that's about me. I've got decisions that I got to make about my eyes and my mind and all of that. But am I also am I also seeking to do that with my wife? Am I seeking to live clean with her? What are the decisions we make about programs that we watch on television? What are the things that we're doing together? Mm-hmm. Do I want emotional and spiritual growth? There's a personal component to that, right? 
but there's also a marriage component. What are we doing to seek to grow emotionally and spiritually together? Mm. And then do I want peace and rest? Well, okay, that's a personal thing, but also think about the peace and rest that comes in the marriage relationship as we pursue healing. And right, and what you bring. When you, you bring that peace and rest, it's not just for you. It's for your children. It's for your wife. Right, mm-hmm. it's for the church. All of that. It's big. Those are big questions with big impacts. Sorry, I better get closer to my mic yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so shall I go on? Yes, please. Okay. So my spirit and soul scream the answer. Oh, what was the question about? Uh, do I want to be clean? Do I? Yes, wanna... yes. My spirit and soul scream the answer. Yes, I want that. And one year into the journey, I woke up and saw that my internal landscape was changing. Mm. Isn't that great wording? In your mind, the internal landscape. So now I ask the deepest questions. What is my identity? What role am I playing? How did my childhood affect me? What was broken inside of me? I've started learning a lot more about myself. Now, you know, some people would think that's selfish. But I think it's freeing. The more you know you, Mm -hmm. the better you manage you, the better you interact with others. And I've said this on the program before, but I'll say it again because I think it bears repeating many, many times. If you're a Christian out there and you've heard this and, and you think, man, that just kind of sounds selfish, that idea of, of knowing yourself. self. I want you to remember what Jesus said the greatest commandment was. It was two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second is like it or the same as it. Love your neighbor. How? As yourself. So basically what Jesus is saying is, if you don't know how to love yourself, if you don't know yourself, you can't actually effectively love your neighbor. So let's get over this whole idea that knowing yourself or loving yourself is somehow selfish. That's old thinking that a lot of people Jesus actually said, you can't actually love well. If you don't know yourself, you've got to love others the way you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got shame and selfishness and all the, and, and pride and all that kind of stuff, then you can't love well. But if you know yourself through that grid of, hey, I want to be clean. I want to have integrity. Yeah, I want and, to live for God. And I failed and I've been broken and I've been made whole. If you know that whole story, right? And you know that and – you, and also when you begin to know at a deep level that you are worth the life of God's only son – that that's your value to God. Your value was enough that he said, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you. That's a knowledge of yourself that glorifies God and then is beneficial to others because you realize he placed that kind of value on me. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And so when he says he's growing in his identity, I think that's important to recognize that. He said, on the journey, I've heard the statement, an addict is very ignorant about himself. Mm. Right? What does he yeah. know? He knows his addiction. Right? Right. He knows that very, very well. When to plan it, when to do it, when to get away with it, how to save money for it, how to not be found out, how to cover up, how to lie. He knows his addiction well, but he doesn't. All that is wasted over there, and the, the downside is not knowing self. Um, that statement hurts, but it's true. I also did the regular work that I had to do besides my relationship work with my wife and engage in these funeral moments. I joined a group. I listened to podcasts. I read books. I had accountability men. 
And he says, two years later, I'm clean, and I'm still asking good questions. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned that clean is a discipline, and growth never ends. And I'm living cleaner, quieter, and in God's presence. And I'm growing a real love story. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell the rest of the guys, after two years, there is hope. Mm-hmm. Man, there is hope for you. Never quit. Well, and the thing that I want to reiterate kind of as a theme through this that doesn't that almost seems counter <clears throat> counterintuitive to growth is again that issue of grief. Mm. I think so many so many times we see grief almost as as an end in itself. Like listen, I grieve, I get to the end of that and then I'm kind of done. Mm. But what we're seeing in this guy's story and I think his metaphor is great about the I funeral too, yeah. is like we go back again and again. There are things over and over again in life, maybe not the same exact things, but there are things over and over in life that need to be grieved. Part of being clean, part of growing this love story of a marriage relationship is learning to grieve well. Yes. Individually, but also together and be able to move forward in that way. So I'd almost say we're talking about, um, you know, grieving as a way to grow a great marriage. No, that's a, a spot on. It's a part of your tool set, right? To grieve well, to grieve together, to grieve her past and your past, right? Because the, there's great bonding, I think, in grieving, mm-hmm. you know, and there's there's great crying out and grieving. It's a spiritual piece, right? Yeah. And the emotional piece and the relational piece, they're all found in that word. Mm. So good job. Well, we are out of time, listeners, but thank you for being with us. If you'd like some more help on your journey, if your marriage is struggling, you're feeling like you're stuck, or maybe just this story resonates with you and you're, you're on that journey and you just want to maybe... Um, provide some encouragement to other couples, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. God bless. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.